Welcome to the Radical Departures podcast, your source for startup storytelling. We're your hosts, Abby and Chris. You'll hear informative discussions full of valuable expertise and actionable insight on the issues you face when launching and growing your startup. This is Episode 5 of the Radical Departures podcast. Our guest today is Eind Eladrisi, founder of WeMind. WeMind is a startup based here in Paris that focuses on providing much-needed services to freelancers around the country. WeMind helps independent workers to obtain complementary health insurance benefits, legal assistance, collective discounts on services and attractions, and helps freelancers with the ever-elusive process of renting an apartment, something even more difficult to do in Paris than in New York City. Eind worked for many years for a major French insurance company before setting out on her own to create WeMind. She shares with us some of the key lessons she learned in the corporate setting that have helped her in the creation of her own company. In particular, that being a startup CEO is essentially being a project manager on a larger scale. She also talks about how vitally important it is to manage people well, a strength she clearly has in spades. So without further ado, here's episode five with Eind Eladrisi. I'm Inde, I'm uh, the CEO of WeMind. Uh, it's a startup, French startup. We created WeMind to allow people who are freelancers or entrepreneurs who are not uh, like uh, salaried people, who are not employees, to get a lot of benefits just like employees do. In France, we have 90% of the working population that's salaried mm-hmm. and uh, 10% that's not. And uh, the numbers are growing very fast. Mm. Uh, people want to be a, want to be their own boss or work in an independent way. Companies want that too, and so that creates uh, a new thing on the market: is that there are more and more people who want to work as an independent, and uh, we don't have enough service for them. Housing is a is a huge problem for them because if you're not salaried, you can't get a house. Uh, insurance is is very expensive, uh, and everything you buy is just expensive. So we wanted to provide a solution that mimics what exists for salaried people, but for freelancers and entrepreneurs. Okay, so that's what we do. And how how did you come up with the idea? Because you had worked for a large organization for years before. It's personal switch. It's personal story. So uh, I have worked in a very big insurance company, French insurance company called AXA. And I worked there for uh, 14 years. And it's just like when I was a student, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to start a startup. But when I graduated, uh, it was 2002. And it was a time that no one was thinking of uh, starting a startup because it was uh, just after the burst of the bubble. Everyone was going back to all the <laughs> to the big companies. So um, I did just like everyone else because I, I I thought you needed to be rich to start a company. Mm. To, you needed money, and I thought you needed like a great idea. And I didn't have any of those at the time. So I always wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I never really had the chance to be. And uh, while I was an employee, I always worked like on new projects. I wasn't Mm -hmm. interested in like 
going to the office and do something that someone has had already done before. Mm. Uh, so I, I kind of always had the entrepreneurial mindset. But then I was like uh, around, I was past my 30s and I was like, what do I really want to do with my life? Which it wasn't the question I was asking myself in my 20s, because in my 20s I was like, how, did I, how do I make a living? And how do I get paid? How do I find an apartment? That was the, the, those were the questions at the time. And around my 30s it was more, what do I want to do with my life? And one thing that was sure is that I didn't want to work in a large company and uh, be like someone who does what someone else asks them to do, even if I was doing it right, even if I was working with good people. But it's not, it's just like something inside me that said, well, now this is over. You have to do your own thing. And um, I had a, a co-worker. We were both managers, and uh, uh, we had met at AXA in 2010. We worked together for three years, and we were having these conversations over and over again. And I was asking him, what would you have done if you haven't been a, an employee? And he said, of course, I would have started my own company, but, you know, I didn't have money and I didn't have the idea. Mm. And so we were like, right now is the time. We need to do to do it now, and we need to switch. We need to do something that we truly believe in. Yeah. Uh, we need to do something that's right for us, something that we we really like to do, and we need to start our own company. So this is the first step of WeMind. It wasn't just like the idea to help to do something for freelancers. So I found my co-founder before I found the idea. Mm-hmm. That right. was a really important part of our story. And then it was like you know it was like a jump because jumping over a cliff, you know, <laughs> so you're going to somewhere, to a place you've never been before. And then it was like, it was crazy what happened just after that, because it was this really long personal process, you know, to just go from the mindset of an employee to the mindset of an entrepreneur. And then what really amazed us is that is that we met hundreds and thousands of people who were thinking exactly the same thing, right. who were quitting their, their jobs, who were uh, starting uh, their own activity. Uh, some people are starting bakeries, mm-hmm. you know, for like, like from banking to bakery. Uh, some uh, were starting their startups, some were doing freelancing. And it was just like this new energy of people who are doing their own thing. They're creating things. Your life is different because you're not doing what someone else is asking you to do. You're doing what you want to do. And so we, we, we said the goal of our company is to help these people because they're just like us. They're right. people who are uh, not uh, waiting for someone else to tell them what to do with their life. Right. So that's really how the idea came. And then after we got like, uh, you know, the general idea, it was like all the problems that these people have. It turns out we've been working 13 years in the insurance field. Uh, we've been, we've been uh, working on very hard stuff. We have a lot of skills. And these skills are exactly what these people need to solve the problems that they have. Right. So it's just like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we can do it. We, we, we've found something that's actually something that we really want to do. And we have the ability to do it. Mm-hmm. So let's do it. That's how it all started. Now you talk about the both of you had this this uh, concern about doing a startup. It's going to cost a lot of money. I mean, when you look at 
people around the world, that's always an enormous obstacle is that people feel I can't do this unless I have a lot of money. And it's, you know, it kind of leads into one of the big problems that we have in the States in Silicon Valley, which is everybody that starts a startup or the overwhelming majority, you have wealthy white men. They can rely on mom and dad to give them a lot of money and they they can take a risk because they have a wealthy family to fall back on. And it's been an enormous obstacle for other people who say, I, you know, I can't do that because I need to pay the bills. I need to do this. And, you know, in the States, uh, you certainly have the problem of I went to school. I have one hundred thousand dollars worth of debt. I have two hundred thousand dollars worth of debt. France is clearly different because, yeah. uh, thank goodness, people are sane here and view education in a different way. But how did you address that obstacle? I think there are two parts uh, to answer your question. First part is objectively, when you look at how much money you need to start a company, it's dropping every year. Yeah. Mm. So. What was true in 2000 is not true in 2017. So right, right now, like uh, every startup in the world, probably uh, the average amount of money that you need to start your startup and uh, have an MVP, a proof of concept and something, you know, that you can invest on is an average of 5000 euros, right. which is very cheap and could be a lot of money for a student, but it's right. actually very cheap. And there are so many incubators and accelerators who can help you with that. So it's not like this barrier has fallen. So that's, you know, it's objective. And then there is the subjective part, which is a lot of people believe that uh, you need a lot of money to, to, to start something. That's a psychological barrier that you need to to lose through education. Right. The, the first thing, uh, it's really interesting, like the first thing we did when we left our previous company with, uh, with my co-founder, we read some books about startups, we read the Lean Startup, we did the, the education program from the family, and uh, it's, it all comes to this. You don't have to have money. You need to have people who are interested in your idea, right. on your website, and then you can build from that. Right. And so that's, a different way of thinking, which right. is very different from the way uh, business was done in, you know, the 70s, the 80s, and so on. And uh, that's part of the, it's even part of the difference there is between big corporations and startups, because big corporations are still doing business the old way, and startups are doing it the new way. So right. it's just, it, there is this psychological barrier that you need to overcome. And I did it through education. Like right. you go see people who already well, who work with startups, who have done startups, and they explain it to you. It's one of the first things that you learn, and it's and it's great when you learn that. You say, "Oh, okay, so now it works like that." But it's so much better. Yeah, yeah. Than invest a lot of money and see if it works or not. As you said earlier, in France, it's just like it's really like the Silicon Valley, and you know when you look at startups and uh, CEOs of startups, C-levels, you will see a lot of white males. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, like, uh, just like everywhere. Yeah. Because it's still easier for some people to get through the psychological barrier than for others. So we don't have a lot of women. I'm one of those women CEOs. Yeah. <laughs> there are not many of us. And uh, it's not easy for people who come from the suburbs uh, rather than uh, the big cities. 
the barrier still exists, but right. it's mostly psychological. There's still a lot of work to educate and to help people go through these. So it's not like it's not like the problem is solved. Just before you showed up, we were talking about this big problem in Silicon Valley that's had a lot of bad press. All of the sexual harassment stuff that's been going on and just the blatant sexism there. Have you experienced anything similar to that in France or is it really quite a different uh, atmosphere? I couldn't really answer that question because I I run a startup really focused on what we do with our with our customers mm -hmm. and uh with uh, the people we work with and uh since I'm I'm actually the CEO of my company so I'm not really sexually harassed so I'm not really a good example to really talk about that but I can imagine if you have um few young guys with no experience in management who uh, have to run a company mm. and uh, they have a huge growth and uh, they have to hire a lot of people. I really understand how it can create these kind of situations because uh, you need to party, you need to, to, to express some things, you need to, to let the steam <laughs> go out sometimes. So I understand how they, these kind of things could happen. But it, it can't really happen when the CEO is a woman, you see. Because it's a, it's a, it's a little bit different, so we, we don't actually have that problem in my startup. But it's actually true that the, there are more male than female in the startup ecosystem. But I don't really experience a pro problem myself. So okay. right now I'm okay. <laughs> now you had worked for a number of years for AXA, which is you know one of the largest companies in the world. What? experiences from working at AXA do you think helped prepare you for this? You said you did a lot of sort of leading edge jobs there. What big benefits, what are your takeaways from that experience? Oh, there are many of them. And in that prospect, I think that I didn't lose my time there. Right. So. When I was at AXA, I was a project manager. And when you're the CEO of a startup, you are a project manager. Right. <laughs> you're not right. really a CEO. You're not doing big meetings with, uh, you know, big shots from the government or anything. You're, you're just working every day to make things work. So it's like being a project manager. When you're doing project management, there are two sides of it. Two sides. The first side is you have to manage the project. And the second side is you have to manage the people. And uh, managing the project is something you can learn, I don't know, in a few months uh, and probably a few years. And managing people is, is something that takes a decade, mm. at least for me. Uh, and I, I noticed that it's something, uh, managing people is hard. It's the hardest thing you can ever do. Uh, managing projects is a skill that you can, it's a hard skill. You can, you can learn it. There are methods and you can really you can learn that, but managing people it's uh, about developing your own empathy, understanding how uh, a group works, which is not the same way a person works, and understanding the effect on the group. And uh, I really think that one of the problem that that causes like sexual harassment and other things is that the people who who manage the who manage these companies. They, they didn't take a decade to learn how right. to do that. Absolutely. It's, it's actually really hard. It's right. the hardest thing you can do. That's something that I've done in my previous years. And uh, that's really helpful because you know how people work. You know how to, how to manage. You know how to, 
to handle things, uh, handle some things, and you avoid a, a lot of problems. And um, you know, in uh, my co-founder and I we have like the same history, and uh, so we we have a skill set from our previous. Uh, time working and it really it really took me a decade to learn you know just managing people yeah. that's the for me it was the hardest thing and i'm still learning <laughs> no i'm not i'm not done yet but it's really what what was useful in this yeah. uh, in this experience now i know obviously you you have to be working long hours your schedule's crazy i'm i'm curious as you're talking, I'm thinking, geez, I could see you sitting in front of like a TEDx crowd telling mm -hmm. people about this because it's really, it's an important thing. And I think it's often overlooked, you know, human interaction. So um, there is there is something that's uh, really interesting uh, in Paris. And when I started my, my own company is that a lot of uh, entrepreneurs are starting their own their own startups there are a lot of accelerators incubators yeah. and meetups and events and uh, i uh, i go to a lot of events uh, uh, to to talk about my story there's like two kind of events uh, that are very interesting uh, there is a, a startup in paris that's called switch collective and uh, they help people switch <laughs> you know from corporate job from whatever they want to do it's not like you need to switch from corporate job to startup because it's not doesn't make sense for everyone. And so they have people do that. And, uh, and I'm very involved with them. They invited me to tell the story to, you know, how do you how do you go from corporate employee to a startup uh, yeah. founder? So there is there is this part, and they're doing an amazing job. They they do videos and everything, and they try to help people to you know find their own way. Right. It, it, there's not not everyone is supposed to be an entrepreneur. Yep. Some of my friends think they're supposed to, but you, you're not. You're, right. you're really not. It's very it's a specific way. It's for some people, and some people are not are not supposed to do that. And so they help they help people do that. And uh, there is also, uh, for example, through the family, I, I meet a lot of entrepreneurs, and we talk to each other, help each other, what kind of issues do you have? And they have a lot of meetups and, and everything. So it creates something that allows people to, to share through events and meetups and just to like sometimes just dinner, but, you know, meet other people that have the same the same problems, the same, same issues. And so we can talk about them. So that's uh, something that helps everyone grow because you can see the experience of other people and it's just and sometimes you know just uh, there is all the the ted videos and yeah. everything you can just watch on youtube and uh, and you know have more information than we would normally have before the internet era yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's how did we survive before I that <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i don't know yeah now there are a lot of events i mean how do you decide I want to do this because some people say, yeah, I, I, I go to events, but you go to them and everybody's talking over each other saying, let me tell you about my startup. And they say, yeah, so you don't learn anything because everybody's just pitching themselves and pitching themselves. I think there are plenty of good events. How do you decide I'm going to do this? I'm not going to do that. The rule is they do very few events. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I really work with my my network actually, and uh, 
I go to events when I really have something to do there or I have a I have a talk or I know some people some people that I want to see on stage and listen to what they have to say the rule is they do very few yeah because uh, it's one thing when you when you arrive in that environment and it's so rich and there's yeah. so many meetups so many things yeah. and uh, you want to do everything it's a good thing when you're discovering things right. but the things but When you're a startup CEO, you can't be like running everyone and uh, everywhere <laughs> in, in Paris, and then you don't have time to work in your yeah. own startup. Yeah. So the rule is, I do very, very few events, sometimes one a month, right. probably. So right. it's not a lot. Uh, if if I did otherwise, I couldn't be working <laughs> right. efficiently. Right. Yeah. So I mostly like if you want to know how my time is used, is that. I'm working 90% of my time and uh, that time is half of the time is in the office and half of the time is with like partners and uh, business meetings and everything. 90% of my time is really working otherwise my company wouldn't be right. <laughs> wouldn't be working. So how have you grown your company? You know, you come up with the idea, you're definitely filling a need, a really big need. How do you get the word out? How do you let the world know you exist? How do the people that really need it, how do they find you? Right now, we haven't done marketing yet. So uh, we're, we're still like, uh, we're having traction through uh, social media and media and traditional media, social media and traditional media. So the way we launched, it was one year ago. We just started a, web, a website a web page. It was a one-page right. <laughs> website. And there was one page, like the catchphrase was, hey, freelancers, don't you think you deserve better? And then, don't you think that you deserve to get a house easily? Don't you think you deserve health insurance like everyone? Yeah. And don't you think that you should get discounts? Like, you know, when you're a salaried people, yeah. you get discounts everywhere through your company. <laughs> when you're an independent, you don't have that. And, and there is like, you know, just telling the story. So these are the problems. And this is what we are negotiating right now. And we are creating all this. And, you you know, you, you want to be a part of it. So just put your email here and just go with us. And this was really a one page. Yeah. Literally. And it, it wasn't even coding. You know, it was, we just took um, a service that's called Squarespace. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, mm -hmm. you build a page. You don't need to know how to code. Just build a web page. And uh, I put that on my Facebook profile, um, my own personal Facebook profile. And so did my co-founder and some of our friends. And then it was like, just crazy because everyone was sharing it yeah. and saying, hey, there's something going on with yeah. the freelancers. It's some, someone is actually wanted to solve our, the real problems that we have. And it was just word of mouth. Yeah. And uh, the social media is really powerful with that. And then, like the real media, uh, kind of hear, heard about it, and uh, some people are starting to talk about it. And then we had like articles in very serious media, and which brings even more credibility. Right. And uh, we have a, a lot of people who just uh, talk about it to their friends and said, you, "You should really check that." And so we've grown our first. Uh, a set of users through this. Right. So we haven't done marketing yet. So it's really like people say, hey, 
but this is a really great idea. Yeah. We really needed that. And some people say, I don't understand how it didn't exist before because it's there true. is a need. It's true. Yeah. yeah. But it's a need, but it's very complicated to create the product. So mm. you need the whole scale set. Not everyone has them. So, right. And the people who have them, they're working, you know, other jobs. They're not doing that. So that's how we started and get our first users. Well, a lot of media people are freelancers themselves. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, so I'm sure that sort of helps with spreading the word because so many of them are doing freelance uh, media work, whether they're behind the camera, whether they're managing, you know, the sort of the systems. I mean, that's helpful. So who are your customers today? Are they, do they fit any specific profile? Are they younger? Are they older? Are they in any specific sectors? They're rather younger. The the average is uh, 32 years old. Right. She's rather young in the population. And uh, they're usually, they usually work in uh, sectors like uh, consultants, uh, freelance consultants, uh, freelance uh, developers, right. uh, freelance uh, creatives, uh, art directors. Right. Uh, they do graphic design, UX design. All that stuff. It's really because we are in the in the startup industry, right. <laughs> in the tech industry, and so the freelancers that come to see us is uh, they're close. They're close to this, but but then we will expand to other jobs and and professions. But uh, right now we have mostly this kind of people. Right now, did the offering that you have today did it evolve from the time when you first launched? Is it the same now as it was when you came out? Or did people say, oh, could you, what about this or what about that? Uh, and even related to that, how do you decide, hey, that's a good idea. I think we'll add that or not. It's not a very scientific way. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you that. So uh, it's about uh, one thing that, that we learned how to do is uh, how to listen to people. At first, when I really started, it, it was two years ago. We, we launched the company one year ago. And two years ago, when I was thinking, you know, going to all the meetups and uh, like talking to potential customers and everything, I was like, hey, so you're a freelancer. This is the kind of problem you have. And this is how, how I'll solve it. Right. And that's not how it works. And one day, like we changed all that. Because what I was saying really is I was saying to people, which is something that is true and I deeply believe, but not a lot of people cares about that. Personal health insurance when you're sick. When you're sick as a freelancer, you go to the hospital, etc. But in France, you really, you have really got good coverage, even if you don't have health insurance. That's rather okay. You have to pay some money, but it's not much. The problem is if you can't work for a few months or a few years uh, because you're sick, then you become a burden to your family because you don't have money coming in. Right. And that's a real problem. And there is a guarantee that was created for all the salaried people. If someone is an employee and they get sick, they get paid 100% of the salary until they get retired. And then when they get retired, <clears throat> they get their pension. So they get, they're covered. And the freelancers, they don't have that. They don't know they need that because obviously they're not sick at the moment. And uh, so when it happens, it's really dramatic and they have to go to the States to get subsidies and it's really low and, and that's really terrible. And so I used to say to a freelancer when I met them, so this is the biggest issue you have in your life and financially it's right. 
it's really the, the like the worst thing that could happen to you. And I, I was like talking like that because I used to work in an insurance company and I kind of know that, which no one else knows, but no one was really excited about right. this, you right. know, because it just meets you. And I tell you that's if you get disabled, you don't have any money. And yeah. then you say, okay, so now I'm going to have a drink with my real friend. And it really didn't work. <laughs> And so one day, you know, I was reading things about customer interviews and, you know, all the startup things, that, how do you find product market fit and everything. And one day I was with a friend who is a freelancer and I say, okay, this time I'm not going to tell you what your problems are. I want to know what your problems are. It was a huge shift <laughs> in my head, like not telling people what their problems are, but listening to what their problems actually are. Yeah. That's very different. And then we had a very interesting conversation that day. And so it's really amazing how you can learn from one person yeah. what millions of people yeah. need. And then said, so tell me what's your problem? But housing. Yeah. Housing is I, terrible. I, yeah. It's a really painful problem, which I think maybe people outside of France don't fully appreciate just how difficult that is. Yeah. So you're exactly right. So the way you react right now is the way everyone reacted yeah. when I told them, yeah. I'm going to tackle that problem. I'm going to find That's a solution. That's a tough one to tackle, yeah. too. Yeah. Well, I, I was I was like, I mean, it, it took a lot, a lot of time. I mean, I was like, I will find a solution. So it was the time, it was really a shift in my head that uh, WeMind was not going to be an insurance company, like an insure tech company. Even we are, technically we are, but... That's not what we were all about. We're all about understanding what your problems are when you're someone that is an independent, that's not working for someone, that's taking action in their lives. And then we're going to help you solve problems that you can't solve by yourself. And the problem is in France, it's very interesting how, how you can create problems by wanting to do the right thing. In France, there is the law and the law says that you can't expel someone, I don't know if it's the right word, but you can't put someone in the street when they live in a house. Right. So you, you have to, there is a, a whole regulations that say that as a landlord, you can't just say to someone, you're not paying the rent, you go to live in the street. Right. So that's something that, uh, you know, it's it's a social concern. And, and uh, France is a country where people care about other people. They care about solidarity. They care about the fact that you should help the poor, that you take money from the rich and, <laughs> and yeah. get them to the poor. So it's, it's something that's really deeply uh, rooted in, you know, in, in French culture. And so all the regulations is designed to help people get housing and not being expelled from their house. Right. And so the consequence of all that is that the landlords, they don't want to rent to anyone yeah. because they know that if someone comes to their house and, and then they don't pay the rent, they have all the legal system to stay in the place without paying the rent. And it's hell for the landlord. I mean, the second thing I did when... I first heard the problems from the freelancers is that I put up a Facebook message and say, is there anyone in my friends who is a landlord? I want to meet with you. I want to understand your problems. And when you meet the landlords, they tell you a very different story. They don't tell you we hate freelancers. They tell you the problem is I bought this apartment on a credit, so I have a credit to pay. Yeah. And then I have, a, I have someone who, who comes there and they don't pay the rent. I'm really scared because... I know that if I go to, to the court, there is a problem, and the judge would say, no, no, you can't put these people in the street. That's not nice. So they would stay. And they're really afraid of that system. Yeah. So 
it's it's really about understanding both parties. And uh, when you understand that, you can, you can start to say, so maybe we can find a solution to make everyone agree because the freelancers, they want to pay their rent. There's no problem with that. They just want to find an apartment. And the landlord, they really want someone who pays their rent. You were sure they, they can pay their rent. So that's how we just figured out the solution, that the solution was to find something that would make it easy for the the landlord to be sure that this person is a freelancer, but they're very serious and they're going to pay their rent. And since we're growing a community, one of the things we use to make sure of that, and we use two kinds of things, we use financial records, uh, how much money you make. We also use the trust among the community. Right. The, like people who can say, if you're someone who pays their rent, are your friends. Your friends know that you're a serious person. And the community knows who is, who is a, ser- a serious person. The landlord, he doesn't know you. Right. But we as a community, we say we know this person and we know you can trust them. And we trust them so much that you as a landlord, we say there is a guarantee. So if they actually, mm-hmm. if we are wrong, then we will pay for them. You know, we, we create a solid, a solidarity because between thousands of freelancers. Yeah. And so for the landlord, it's like they say, you also understood me. You understood my problem. Yeah. My problem is, is not that I don't like freelancers. Yeah. My problem is that I'm afraid the rent will not be paid. And so when I had this conversation with that friend, and I really understand the core problem uh, of the freelancers, which wasn't like health insurance, which is actually a real problem. So when when the freelancer comes to WeMind, they get a package. It has everything. You can you can have all your protection as a freelancer. Right. And so I I, ha- I get to advocate people and saying if you're sick, <laughs> you really need to be covered with this, which is bo- very boring stuff, you know. Uh, yeah. But uh, you know it comes with a package. And since it's like freelancers understand that we really care about those problems housing problems and all the problems that they have. And since we, we understand everything, they're willing to listen to the other things right. that they didn't really care about because they're young and they're healthy yeah. and, you know, yeah. like, uh, I will never be sick. Yeah. <laughs> like freelancers, they, they tell me, I've never been sick in the 20 past years, so mm-hmm. I don't think I'll ever be sick in my life, you know? That's mm-hmm. rock-solid thinking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're really sure about that? Yeah. yeah. As a, a foreigner myself, I find that it's a fantastic, it's a very mm-hmm. French solution to a very French problem, yeah. the housing thing. It's, you know, the idea of solidarity to help address this is such, it's, it's a very, very French answer to a, a, a problem. There are other services for freelancers in, in other countries. And uh, someone, sometimes people ask me if we, if we did copy some of them. Yeah. And actually not. We really listen to French freelancers. And uh, no other startup is doing exactly that because this is a very French problem. And you have to address the problem that your market has. If you're trying to address problems that other markets ha- have, it's not working. It's, it's not that would, it won't work the same way. So. What do you see as your biggest obstacle today to growing your business? We started the, the website one year ago, mm-hmm. and we, then we, it took a long time to negotiate all the offers and oh, everything with yeah. the, 
a lot of partners, uh, business partners, and you know, it's like uh, going to the mine <laughs> and working yeah. in the dark yeah. <laughs> to do very difficult stuff with uh, with uh, some people who say, "Oh no, freelancers, no, we don't like that." So not serious people, we don't want to do that. And then see other people and say we're doing that. You know, like it's like convincing people. So on the one hand, it was very easy to gather freelancers around the project. On the other hand, it was hard to uh, make it understand to uh, to other people who uh, we were trying to build partnerships and, um, and everything. So there is this part. And then it was like solved at some point you just have to go back and go back and meet other people and then and then you meet someone who understands everything and then you you, you can build something and then there is the our service is 100% online so you have to build all the system that powers yeah. <laughs> all, all the stuff so we've spent like almost a year doing that and then we've launched uh, the service to the public on 20th of June it's a few months ago so yeah. it's not it's not very long so Right now, it's all about how we uh, provide the best service online for the people who were waiting for it. It was 15,000 people who were waiting for it. And we're still onboarding them. So right now we're doing that. And it's just like our biggest issue is uh, uh, how the website works to onboard everyone efficiently and smoothly and easily and, and everything. So right now... I'd say we are, our greatest issue is the user experience. So it must be the easiest way, right. uh, most uh, adapted to how they get things, how they need things. And, right. and um, when you talk about freelancers, it's not like everyone is exactly the same. Mm. They are incredibly different. So you have to adapt to, to them and you have to say, uh, this one I won't do because it's really too different from the rest and otherwise I, I can't grow uh, the website. So uh, that's really our issue. It's really like building the user experience. So that's really great too. If I'm a freelancer and I am have heard about WeMind and I want to join, can you walk us through what the experience is, the user experience? Right now, uh, you uh, it's a waiting list okay. because <laughs> there are so many people to onboard that it's, uh, it's a waiting list. And then when it's your turn, uh, you get... Uh, one person from Women on the phone. That's the first step. And uh, we check a few things together. Uh, it takes about 10 to 15 minutes. And then when, when that's done, you have access to the website. And there are a few things that you can change or not. So that's, uh, that's how uh, it works uh, right now. Okay. Uh, it may work differently in the future, but right now we've found it's really the best way because it gets people to talk to us. It gets us to, to understand really the problems, the most important problems for that person and to uh, really just do something that's almost tailor-made for that person because it's really different. But some people, they just they call us and uh, we, we talk for 10, 15 minutes and then we say, I'm sorry, we can't do anything for you because we have some people. I had uh, an American that has in um, his uh, company in uh, the US and he wanted to be covered and that's something we don't do. Mm. So I said, we can't, we can't do that. Some people, it's, it's funny. They, they don't want to, to pay anything to the French government. <laughs> I say, so... <laughs> 
actually we mind is quite legal right now <laughs> we want to keep it that way so if you want to do something that's illegal you can do it with us yeah. okay so there are a few situations like that that we don't want or, or we can't handle so so that's uh, that's it but the process right now is quite easy except for the waiting list mm-hmm. time but you know like when you're looking for an apartment it's not for tomorrow it's for a right. few months so right. or when you want health insurance uh, usually you already have one you just need to switch so it's something that that works uh, that works fine this way okay and so you guys offer the health insurance mutual yeah help with finding an apartment yeah our health insurance is a little bit different than what people already have, and we have to do a lot of explanation through that because when someone is sick, we cover the um, the medical expenses plus the lack in revenue. A few months ago, I had a freelancer uh, who was testing our services, better services, and he was sick. He had to go to, ho- to the hospital and uh, uh, because he, he had an accident and broke his leg and he couldn't work anymore. For uh, It took three months for, to recover. Mm-hmm. And then we paid 500 euros for the medical expenses, which was what he needed, and we paid 7,000 euros for the revenue he lost so wow. he could pay his rent. Okay. Right. You know, so like all the freelancers that we mind, they have this insurance. So that's one way they can make sure that will, they will be able to pay their rent because they already paid for an insurance that will handle that whenever they need it. So and that's something that's quite different from the health insurance you get, you usually get on the market. They don't, they don't have this, uh, you know, it's not comprehensive package for someone when they're sick. So the health insurance is really different to some than others. Uh, that's, that's the first part. Then we have a legal protection. So when uh, freelancers are part of WeMind, they get access, unlimited access. It's not a lawyer. I don't know if you're allowed to call that a lawyer. It's someone who is a professional in the law. Okay. So you can call them and ask any question you have. So that's it's legal advice. You can have legal advice, unlimited legal advice. Wow. That's something they can have. Uh, if someone doesn't pay them, they do a gig, a mission or anything, and then the customer doesn't pay. And uh, after two months, it's still not paid. They can send their bill to us and uh, we will get the money. We will take care of all the legal process to get the money back. And then when we get the money, we give them 85% mm-hmm. and we keep 15% for the expenses. And if we don't get the money, then it's lost anyway. So uh, that's something that we've been, when uh, we were listening to people oh, yeah. and we were saying, what's the problem? And they, what if I don't get paid? Yeah. It's sometimes, sometimes it happens. And then the customer, they know that you don't have enough money to get a lawyer and yeah. so that you won't get after them. So now they have this power. It's included in their package when they're with WeMind. Uh, so that's uh, that's one thing. And um, it's something that we really heard about a lot. And there is also, a, uh, it's not funny, but sometimes it's funny. Uh, we have uh, the, the system that handles the social security for freelancers. It's uh, run by a state-owned uh, service, which is called the RSI. And sometimes, I, I mean, I've talked with people who work there. At the, they're not bad people, obviously. Uh, but sometimes their IT systems get wrong and they take money from freelancers. <laughs> and then when the freelancer wants to get them back, <laughs> it's hell. And so we handle that situation uh, too. So we handle all the legal problems that freelancers might have 
and it's very cheap in our because it's it's something that we uh, created for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So it's very cheap. You don't have to to go to a lawyer and pay two hundred euros an hour to get legal advice mm-hmm. or legal help with anything. So sometimes, like when you have unpaid bill, it's more expensive to get the lawyer oh, yeah. than to get the bill. Yeah. So it's yeah. really not interesting. And uh, and then housing thing that we we already talked about. Plus, we provide discounts. Like because we have a very big community, and uh, in France there is something that's called for companies it's called comité d'entreprise. It's uh, something that allows salaried people as a company to negotiate for uh, cheaper movie tickets, cheaper entries to Disneyland, cheaper entries to um, shows, theaters, to uh, a lot of things. And so we created the same thing but for freelancers. So it's exactly the same service, plus we added to that professional services. So Mm -hmm. I have discounts on professional services, and we also have a lot of discounts on services that are made by startups. And the services that are made by startups, they're usually not proposed in by traditional companies, and so we we included them. And so they get all these discounts. It's like thousands of discounts on everything. So it's like when you're part of WeMind, you get all this package, and then you get access to all these services. So it's like you're part of a company, but you're still, you know, free and doing whatever you like. That's great. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that's a a really nice offering. I mean, it really is a nice offering. Yeah, no. <laughs> thank yeah. you. Yeah. How long is your wait list? At the beginning, it was two months' wait, mm-hmm. and uh, now it's about two weeks' wait. Okay. So, no, so it's okay. okay. Now, how do you envision growing your company? Do you want to grow it organically? <laughs> do you want to go out and, and raise funds? Right now, I have a limited view on that. Uh, we raise money, but uh, through business angels, mm-hmm. uh, who are people that we know, uh, almost personally, not all of them, but we, we really know how they see things and they're really close to us in how they see the ambition of the company. And uh, so that's the really important thing for me is to have investors that are aligned with our vision. Right. So we raised uh, 500k euros, which is uh, like a decent amount for a seed round right. uh, with a people that we already know and that really allows us to like focus on what we do and not be like everywhere looking for money and asking how how shortly they want to sell the company so that's a really important thing to us like uh, choosing the people who work at the company and choosing the people who invest in the company is really like it's the two top important things in my mind I really f- uh, focus also on, uh, we are not like a, a company that's not able to make money until they have raised a lot of money. Right. That's not who we are. And I'm really lucky and grateful for that because we have money coming from our members, our freelancers. They pay a fee every month. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we think, well, hopefully we would be break even by the beginning of 2018. Oh, yeah. Wow. For our first step, because right. break-even doesn't mean anything. If you're growing, you're still spending more money. But uh, we we are really aiming to that. Uh, and so it's really about finding an equilibrium because the money that comes from the investors and the money that comes from the customers. Mm-hmm. And uh, right now, we've raised our first round. 
in the beginning of 2017. And uh, right now we're focusing on uh, raising money from our customers because we have the, the system to do that. And maybe uh, in uh, 2018, we'll raise another round. But I mean, it's not my focus right now. My focus right now is to have, is to serve our customers, to have more customers, to provide value to them. And that's something that brings money in the company. So it allows to find the equilibrium between investors and, and money coming from investors and money coming from customers. What kind of staff are you adding and what do you look for when you're adding people to your team? The important part is that we're like, you know, a mission-driven company. So all the people who work at WeMind, they're not freelancers. <laughs> there are ex-employees who have changed their lives. And uh, it's really like, you know, the switch. <laughs> we, all the people who work at WeMind, they're people who, who switched. Yeah. And that's why they really wanted to come work with us. It's because all we, we all believe in that, that uh, our mission is to help people to drive their own life. It's the thing that you're an independent person and you decide for yourself. And then there are some people that you might need to help you and we are those people. So we are very lucky that uh, a lot of people come to us and say, hey, I want to work for you uh, because I, I really believe in that. Right. So I'm really proud that our mission is clear uh, somewhat. It's clear to people. Uh, it's clear to our customers, to our investors, to everyone, and also for people who want to work for us. So that's something that's that's very easy. So we don't have to we don't have to put an ad and get people and say, so this is our mission. Do you agree or not? Right. It's something that's already done before they come to the interview. They already know what we're doing and what we're doing. So that's something that's like settled. And then it's all about you know uh, personal interaction. If we can work well together, so we really do something that you know we work with a lot of freelancers, obviously, and. Some people, they come for us. And the, the very beginning is that they work as a freelance. You know, they do a mission for women. And then they do another mission for women. And then if we really like each other, then we can, like, yeah. you know, do a long-term thing. But we really do a lot of, you know, freelancing. And uh, at the beginning, it, so I, I told you at the beginning, we didn't have an IT team. Uh, we didn't have marketing team. We didn't have anything. It was all different freelancers. They had known the project. They, they knew that we didn't have a lot of money. So they said, but your project is too great. I will do missionary yeah, freelancing. Cool. And, they, and then they didn't charge us very much. All the, the projects started this way. And then we started to have in more and more money and then we were able to pay the people uh, more for what they did. The following step is that we hire them because now we have a lot, we have enough money. But there are right. people who've been around for a couple of months, yeah, and they, we already work together. And it's how we see things that these people, at some point, they might leave to do something else. But that's okay because the most important thing is not that they work for for us. The most important thing is that they're growing themselves, you know, right. professionally and personally. And so that sometimes. They might leave to go work someone else, and that's perfectly fine, you know. So hiring is the, like, you know, the first part is very easy because of the mission thing. And then the second part is just like, do we get along uh, rather well? And then we, we can work rather long term together. And then afterwards, you can still leave. How would you view we mind being a success? What does success mean? It's really the question is really hard to answer because what is success? I think I really have no idea. 
I, it's just, you know, like my days are, I wake up in the morning, I go to the office or to my meetings. I do my best every day. And at the end of the day, I tried that everything that I've done is like the best that we could do. So, yeah. and then I start over the next day. That's just how, how yeah. my, you know, how my life goes. So I don't know what is success because at some point you have milestones as a company. You have your first customer and then you have the first customer that's not one of your friends. And then you have the first customer that's not even someone that you know. <laughs> so that's, you know, you have a lot of milestones and then, yeah. and then you get your first thousand users. I found out that every time that the milestones happened and then you're really happy because you achieved something. And then it brings in some more problems. <laughs> yeah. So at some point, it's always like the same game. You have uh, milestones, you have big success, and you manage to negotiate something that you didn't have. And then there is some other problem yeah. that raises, and then you have to handle it. What I'm looking for personally is to grow personally and evolve personally. That's what uh, I'm trying to achieve at, at a very personal level. So I'm, don't, I'm not sure what success is. I mean, if you told me where is the top of the the Mount Everest, I will tell you geographically <laughs> here. But what is success? Is it that we mind will be worldwide? Is it that we mind will be just European? Uh, will it be like the first service to finance? I really don't know. It's a, I feel like I should give you a better answer. No, no. Uh, to I, me, that's perfectly fine because yes. I think that sometimes... People get carried away with that. And one thing that I find disturbing in sort of the tech media and tech related media is the only version of success is to become a billionaire. I think that's silly. And, and there's success means a lot of different things. And when you listen to billionaires, it's very interesting when you read Steve Jobs' biography, he says that the money, he, he didn't want to be the richest man in the cemetery. Yeah. That doesn't make sense because yeah. at the end, at the when everyone dies and, and when you die, like the, uh, it's very interesting when you can ask people who are very old what was important in their lives and it's not the money or the fame or everything. It's the other things that really matter. So it's still hard to know what your life should be. So that's why the way I, I experience it is uh, through a, work and effort and every day trying to do your best and uh, trying to listen more, you know, tell less people what <laughs> they should do. And uh, I, I feel like I'm growing with that because, yeah. uh, uh, you know, it was really like the story I told you when the way I switched in my, in my mind that I should listen to customers, not tell them what they need and still keep it in mind, but not shove it through yeah. the throat because they didn't want that. So the day I learned that lesson was really a big day for me. I was really happy about that. And the, so the next day was better. So I think that I'm really looking for personal growth after all and, uh, you know, doing what's best. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Really yeah, thank you very much. Eve. That was you. really nice. I, I, I found it very interesting. Yeah. yeah, I find it very nice exchange. Thank you very much. wraps up another episode of the Radical Departures podcast. Thanks for listening. Support us on Patreon. And join us next time on Radical Departures. <laughs>